Our scripture this morning comes from Genesis chapter 28, verses 10 through 22. So hear now the word of the Lord. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and laid down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood next to him and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on, you, on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I'm with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. He called the name of the place Bethel. But the name of the city was Luz at first. Then Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go, and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, so that I may come again to my father's house in peace. Then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. <clears throat> well, before we jump into that story, let's, uh, let's pray and ask for God's help. Father, we, we come uh, this morning, uh, as we do each week, and open your word because we want, to, uh, we want to be led by you. We want to be taught by you. Uh, we all come in with different experiences, questions, things that happened this past week, um, and, and God, we, we want to know you in that. And so I pray, wherever we're at um, this morning, speak, we ask God in Jesus' name, amen. Well, this week we are beginning what is my, uh, my favorite parts, favorite narrative arc of this, the, the book of Genesis. Uh, we've been in Genesis since, uh, I think like five years now, is that right? Um, something like that. Uh, it's been like January. So we've been here a while. Uh, we've been through the creation narratives, through uh, Abraham's story, through uh, Isaac is where we were last week, and Rebecca. And now we enter in, for the next three weeks, the story of, of Jacob. And it's my favorite narrative arc in the book of Genesis for a couple of reasons. One is that you get two of the most dramatic encounters with God in all of the Bible in Jacob's life. And they're, re- they're strange, they're unique, and they're really powerful if you understand what's going on. Um, the other uh, re- reason I love this narrative is, or Jacob's life, is Jacob, uh, man, when he doesn't get it, he like fails spectacularly. Like, he doesn't sin in small ways. He sins in pretty large ways. And, and when you read this narrative and you, say, like, you have both of those things together, that Jacob like, really doesn't get it and does some awful things in his life with these dramatic encounters with God, when you put those two things together, 
it gives me hope that God, like, he just pursues us. And even when you fail him, he, like, he pursues. And so I'm going to look at Jacob's life. We're going to look at his life over the next three weeks. Uh, kind of one dramatic encounter, uh, this one. And then in two weeks, we're going to be in what is, like, truly one of my favorite stories in all the Bible. She need to be here, August 4th. Uh, but this week, the, the latter, right, Genesis 28. I want to break this, this encounter with God down in three ways, three headings we're going to walk through. Uh, one is the darkness. Uh, two is the dream. And third, the descent. So the darkness, the dream, the descent. And so we start uh, with, with darkness. And, and when we read this narrative, uh, hopefully you know, like Jacob is by himself. He's alone. Um, and, and there's a reason for that. And we skipped over that story. Actually, Nathan Miller, our senior pastor of congregational development, uh, my boss, he'll be here next week uh, to preach that story. Um, and the, he'll spend more time really on Esau than Jacob. And so we're sort of starting with Jacob's um, um, story this morning. So I have to sort of tell some of that story, but most of it will be Nathan next week. Because there's a reason Jacob is by himself. Uh, Jacob grew up in a family. Isaac was his father. Uh, Rebecca, his mother, and Esau was his brother. And Jacob, uh, his father Isaac, um, just outwardly favored Esau. Like, openly preferred his brother to him. And you can imagine, like, if your dad, like, openly preferred a sibling to you, that would probably do some things in your mind to you, right? You probably wouldn't grow up with the most uh, emotionally healthy uh, psyche that's possible. And likewise, Rebecca, Jacob's mother, preferred Jacob over Esau. So this is a lovely uh, biblical family um, that we have here, parents openly favoring their, their kids. And so, so Jacob sort of lived without his father's blessing, lived without his father's uh, um, kindness because his father preferred his, his brother to him. And so at the end of Isaac's life, Isaac is going to bless his two sons, Jacob and Esau. And Jacob, along with his mothers, decide, like, they come up with a plan to deceive Isaac, his father, and to steal uh, the birthright blessing from his brother Esau. And so they do this. Jacob deceives his father. He steals from his brother. And everything predictably falls apart. And Esau wants to kill his brother. Isaac is angry. Rebekah tells Jacob, you have, to get, you have to get out of here. And so Jacob is on the run. He has... He's lied to his father, he's deceived and stolen from his brother, and he's on the run, alone. And the narrator highlights a number of, of different ways just how, how much Jacob has, has fallen. A few, a few words that sort of intentionally want you to see where Jacob is in his life. And the first is in verse 11, this word place is there uh, three times. <clears throat> right? Jacob came to a certain place. And he took one of the stones of that place, put it under his head, and lay down in that place to sleep. The reason why the word place is here instead of the name of a city is because Jacob is in a place where no one else is. He's alone. He's by himself. He's in the wilderness. There's not a city here, right? He's on the run. He's just, he's just in a random place. He's in the middle of nowhere. This is the Hebrew uh, way of saying Jacob is in the middle of nowhere by himself. And then the second uh, detail that's important is that we're told he, uh, he took one of the stones of that place and put it under his head and lay down in that place. So he took a stone and, and used it as a pillow, which is always confusing to me because I, like pillows are supposed to be soft, right? They're not supposed to be hard. And so I've always wondered, why would you do that? Um, and I think I know why. Uh, so there's only been one night in my entire life I've ever slept without a pillow. And that was, uh, it was my sophomore year of high school. We were in a mission trip to Panama. And I don't remember why. Uh, 
I didn't have any of my things. I don't know if they like, if we'd already packed them or if like somehow like they got wet or like, I don't know why, but I slept that night, the last night there with literally nothing. No sleeping bag. It was just, I was just on a tile floor by myself and it was the worst night of sleep in my entire life. And having no pillow in particular, I remember how I could not get comfortable, right? You're not, you're supposed to sleep right with your head parallel, not like, you know, this all night. You're not going to sleep great like that. So it was miserable. It was, uh, it was, you know, I didn't sleep basically that night. And so I, what, if you have to use a stone as a pillow, what that means is you don't have anything else, right? He doesn't have a spare set of clothes to, right, to, to put under his head. He doesn't have anything he's traveling with. This is the narrator's way of saying Jacob has nothing. He's broke. He's penniless. He's on the run. He's so broke, he has nothing but a pillow but a stone. So he's in the middle of nowhere. He's lost everything. He's broke. Um, and then there, the narrator says the sun has set and he goes to sleep. And you get just this, this picture of darkness, right? Like it's, just, it's just dark in Jacob's life. It's relationally dark. His mother, who's truly probably the only one he, he was relationally close to, he'll never see her again. He had to run away from her to, for safety. Uh, he's, uh, he's lost his father and his brother's relationship because he deceived them and lied um, to them. He's in financial darkness. He has nothing. Uh, he's in spiritual darkness, right? Like he's certainly, he's like, God, what, how did this happen to me, right? There's, it just, it's dark. It's darkness, right? He has nothing. He's on the run. And that's the picture you get of Jacob's life. And it's, it's just a hard place. And Jacob's in a place that at some point, like all of us, all of us get to, right? All of us at some point, we like the darkness becomes real to us. For some of us, it's like Jacob, it's decisions we made, relationships we've lost because of, of things in our past that we did that we wish we could undo and now we can't. For others of us, it's that, it's the spiritual darkness, right? It's distance from God, that God feels like he's not present, he's not real, um, he's not there, and what's interesting with Jacob is, remember, uh, the story of Genesis is God has come to Abraham and said, Abraham, I'm going to save the entire world through you. That promise goes from Abraham to Rebekah and Isaac, and now it's to the next generation, their sons, to Jacob and, um, and to Esau, although we'll, we'll learn more about that story next week. And Jacob, so Jacob is supposed to be like the salvation plan of God through the entire world, and Jacob, up to this point, has had no experience of God. And now, it, like, there's no reason he should expect an experience of God because God doesn't reveal himself to people who lie and cheat and deceive and steal from other people, right? That are, like, this is a thief on the run. This is the last person God would reveal himself to. And so J- Jacob's lost, he's in the darkness, right? He's lost everything. And if you've ever been there, right, if you, for whatever reason, this is, like, Jacob is rock bottom. And then uh, he dreams, Right, so he's in darkness, he dreams. And again, the narrator uses very sparse language, but po- points out a number of details which are crucial to understand, like what Jacob would see, what he was experiencing, what he would be thinking about um, in this dream. And he sees a few things. And the first uh, thing he sees is, is a ladder, which probably isn't the best tr- uh, translation. It's probably more like a flight of steps, like a grand staircase, which starts at the bottom of the earth, the earth where Jacob's sleeping and goes all the way up into the heavens, which would be a pretty like startling way to have the darkness interrupted with you, right? As Jacob thinks he's alone, and now all of a sudden, like reality's pulled back, and and he sees what's there that he didn't see before, and it's this grand staircase. And on this grand staircase are angels and 
uh, ascending and descending up and down. That's one reason why I don't think it's a ladder because a ladder, that's one-way traffic, right? You can't, people don't go up and down ladders. They go up and down staircases. And so Jacob, uh, he sees like this incredible sight. And so he sees a staircase. He sees angels ascending and descending on this staircase, which is like, what's that about? And, and, and the first thing I think we have, to, like, we have to do is we have to understand, like, we have such a television version of angels in our mind, or such like a commercial version of angels in our minds. I think often we don't understand what's happening. So for me, like, one of the first things I think about when angels in our culture is, uh, is precious moments. You know, those little, like, those little baby figures, angel figurines, or the others. That, did you, any of you watch the show Touched by an Angel? Um, growing up, it's like Roma Downey, you know, a little Scottish or whatever her accent is. I'm not sure. I'm an American, so I don't, I can't distinguish accents. But she was uh, like, you know, she she might touch you gently, right? That's that's sort of the, you know, the gist of the, show. and that's what we think about with angels, right? Is they're they're soft, they're cuddly, they're kind. Um, that is not how people encounter angels in the Bible. Um, it's always it's always a frightening uh, experience, which is why the first things angels say. Uh, to you or to, to people when they encounter them is not, hello, I'm an angel. It's uh, don't be afraid, right? It's fear not. And Jacob's response to seeing this is fear, is trembling. So, so Jacob sees angels ascending and descending. And with that, what angels are in the Hebrew Bible, they're messengers. And so what Jacob sees is, is God sending out messengers into the world to represent his rule, to do his rule in the world, and then receiving angels back into heaven who have been out doing his will in the world. So this isn't like a, a neat, uh, this isn't a neat magic trick. Like God's like, look at this. It's, what it is, is, is God showing Jacob, look, I'm ruling, I'm, I'm in charge of the world. I'm run, you, didn't, you didn't know this. You thought you were in the middle of nowhere, random place, and you had no idea what was behind the curtain. And here it is. It's my rule and reign in the world through this, these angels ascending and descending the staircase. And so, you know, suddenly Jacob, it, he's, he thinks he's alone. He thinks he's, there's darkness, right? This, his life has fallen apart. And now he sees this image of God's rule and reign in the world. But that's not all he saw. The, the last thing he sees, the most important th- thing he sees is, is the Lord, is God. And there's a little bit of a translation discrepancy here in verse 11 uh, when we read, uh, and behold, the Lord, <clears throat> excuse me, the Lord stood above it. Um, and the, the question there is, is is this, does this verse say God is standing at the top of the staircase, like yelling down at Jacob? Um, or is it, it could mean, it could say he stood next to him. The Hebrew could be translated either way. And Robert Alter, uh, a Hebrew scholar and translator, makes a compelling case. Um, the Lord is not standing above the staircase. He's actually, he's descended down. He's standing next to Jacob and he's speaking to Jacob. Which would make sense of other stories in Genesis. When the Lord, the Lord rare, it doesn't speak from heaven, he comes down, right? In Genesis 18, he visits with Abraham, he eats with Abraham. And so Jacob, he's alone, he's in the darkness, his life is ruined, he's a liar, he's, he's a cheater, he's a thief. And he goes to sleep and he wakes up and the Lord is standing next to him. And God says a number of things to him. I'll summarize them. He says, basically, God says three things to him. Uh, first, he says, Jacob, I will be with you wherever you go. I'm thinking, Jacob is totally alone. He has no one in his life. And God comes up and says, you have me. I will be with you wherever you go. Then he says, I will keep you wherever you go. I will protect you, right? And that's which, you know, in that day, to be a lone traveler in the wilderness is very dangerous, Right? Jacob, is, he, he has no protection, and God says, no, yes, you do. I am your protection. 
And then he says, uh, he basically says, Jacob, and I'm going to bless you outrageously. I'm going to give you descendants and a land and material blessing. Like, I'm going to bless you outrageously. This, like, this is, you think about what's happening here. This is so stunning. Jacob is a thief, a cheater, a liar on the run. And God, like, just shows up. And just makes outrageous promises to him. Says, I will be with you wherever you go. I will keep you wherever you go. I'm going to bless you, Jacob. God doesn't come to him and say, how dare you? You were in the promised line of salvation and you cheated and you lied and you're a thief. Which God had every right to say to him. But that's that's not what he says. He comes to Jacob, I will be with you. I will protect you. I will keep you. I will bless you. And this encounter, like what's happening here in Genesis 28, is, it continues a theme that's, that's crucial to Genesis, and it goes all the way through the Bible. We saw in Genesis 15 when Abraham was, he was doubting, he was uncertain that God was going to keep his promises to him, and God shows up to Abraham in this like personal way. Abraham is, is, is doubting, he's uncertain, he's weak, and God shows up and affirms his promises to Abraham. We see this twice with Hagar, who is mistreated by Abraham and Sarah and is alone in the wilderness twice with her son, thinking she's about to die. And God shows up to Hagar and says, no, Hagar, I will protect you. I will give you descendants. I will bless you, right? And like throughout Genesis, and this is, these aren't the only times, like God shows up to people who are in the most vulnerable, broken places. That in Genesis and throughout the entire Bible, God seems to have this special attraction to the weak and to the broken. So one of my favorite psalms, Psalm 34, 18, is the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. And we see this here. Jacob, he's in the darkness. He's lost everything because of his own fault. And yet God comes uninvited. Jacob's not, he's not, Jacob isn't praying for God to show up, right? Like, God, forgive me, come. No, Jacob just goes to sleep, and God shows up uninvited and offers his love, his blessing, his kindness. They read the scriptures, and you find this repeatedly. God repeatedly shows up to the broken and to the dependent and to the needy, which is both really good news and really bad news. It's good news in the sense that, like, if this is true, then that means, like, if God shows up to the liar, the cheater, the thief who's on the run, if God shows up for for him, then there's no one who's too low or too weak or too far gone for God to reveal himself to, for God to know. You can't be too weak, too broken for Christianity. And yet, uh, the flip of that, that's the good news, right? Is if no matter how low you are this morning, you're not like, you're, you can get lower. God is, can still meet you in that space, right? He can meet you in the darkness. And yet, it's bad news for those of us who think we've, we've got it figured out. Those of us who look down on other people, who think ourselves superior to others. That the good news of this, this attribute of God that he's always near the broken is that you can never be too low for God. The bad news is you can be too good for God too high for God. And then if you want to encounter God, ultimately, you, you don't encounter him in strength, in, in your own abilities, in your own gifts. You encounter him in the darkness, in weakness, in brokenness, in insufficiency, independence. Read through the Bible. God is not, God is not interested in people who haven't figured out, but he is interested in the people who seem to have ruined everything. And he shows up and he reveals himself to them in a dream sometimes, right? In a staircase, angels ascending and descending. 
So that's the dream. That's what Jacob is given this revelation of God. That's the dream. It comes to him in the darkness. So point three, the descent. What's going like what why is God doing all of this? What, what does all of this mean? And commentators point out that this, is, uh, this story is a clear callback to Genesis chapter 11 and another story. And in that story, a tower um, was created that, that went from the, uh, the attempt was to make it go from the earth up into the heavens. And so the people of, of the city, they gather and they decide we're going to build a tower up to, up to the heavens, up to the gods. And, and most commentators point out that's not like they're not just trying to build a really tall tower um, you know, they're just trying to get into the Guinness Book of World Record, Records for tallest building. Actually, there's, there's something religious um, to this, that, that the reason they were building such a tall tower was the thought was, if we build a tall tower, we build a staircase into heaven, then we can climb the staircase and get up to the gods, right? It communicated a religious idea. And so in this cultural time, it was common to build temples that, uh, that, that had staircases that went very high into um, the sky, and you would climb that staircase. You would perform, stair- uh, perform sacrifices. You would sacrifice to the gods and, and climb up and get up to the gods. But you had to climb the staircase, which is how most, like that's how religion works. Right? If you're a Buddhist, you have to follow the eightfold path. If you're a, a Muslim, you have to, to keep the five pillars of, of Islam. And that's like most religions are built on the idea you climb the staircase through your own good works, through your own efforts. A lot, of, a lot of people import that idea into Christianity that, right, you perform good works, you become a good person, you climb the staircase, and you get, you get up to the gods, right? You get up to God. But what's happening in Genesis 28, which would have utterly like, confounded Jacob, is that the exact opposite happens here. Jacob does not climb the staircase, right? In fact, he's asleep, right? He's dreaming. He's a stone for a pillow. He could not be in a more pathetic position and he wakes up and he finds God has actually come down the staircase. <laughs> He's descended. And I really like, how can that be? Right? How can the, like this powerful God who's like, who is sending angels out, who again, not precious moments angels, like these powerful warriors, these powerful beings, God is in control of, he's, in, he's running history. How is it that the Lord has any interest in Jacob and how is it that he can go down and offer these promises, these blessings to the cheater, to the thief, to the, the trickster. And the only, like, we, the only way to answer that question uh, is to fast forward into, into the New Testament, into another story. And in John 1, there's this really interesting, interesting story of, of a man named Nathaniel. Nathaniel, uh, he, uh, his brother Philip comes to him and says, uh, Hey, we have found the Messiah, the Son of God. And Nathanael was like, who's this? And uh, Philip tells him, it's Jesus from Nazareth. And Nathanael sort of immediately is like, nothing good can come from Nazareth. That's a a no-name place, right? That's in the middle of nowhere. So Philip's like, come and see. So Nathanael goes, and he goes. And when he goes to Jesus, Jesus, uh, he looks at Nathanael and he says, uh, first, Nathanael, behold, an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Which was like a clear, like, you know, that's Nathaniel's reputation. Is, you know, he's a man with no guile. He, he's, you know, a man of truth. And he was like, yeah, that's okay. How do you know me? How do you, how do you know that's true about me? And then Jesus says, uh, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Now, that's, that's a little freaky, right? And commentators have wondered, what was Nathaniel doing under the fig tree? Right? What was going on there that when Jesus said, I, when you were there, I saw you, that made Nathaniel 
not just be like, what a cool magic trick, um, but say, you are the Mess- you're the son of God, you're the Messiah. And after, uh, after Nathaniel gives this confession of Jesus, calls him the son of God, Jesus says this to him. He says, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And Jesus said to him, truly I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. That's a pretty, I mean, so Jesus 1 is saying, you, you know that, like that Old Testament story, Jacob, you're going to see something better than that. You're going to see that again, but it's going to be better. And then secondly, uh, you're not going to see angels and, uh, ascending and descending on a staircase. You're going to see them ascending and descending on the Son of Man. He's like, what does that, what does that mean? Um, and that's what, what Jesus is saying when he says, you will see angels in, ascending and descending on the Son of Man. What Jesus is saying is, I, I am the staircase. <laughs> I'm the way to God. The greater thing that you are going to see is that if you want to have that gate of heaven open to you, if you want to have, if you want to be in the house of God, if you want to, to ascend the staircase, I am that, so you have to come to me. I am the way to God. And the reason Jesus can say that is because he's the only one who ever like, actually ascended the staircase, right? Who lived a perfect life, who did everything that he was supposed to do. He, he actually ascended the, the staircase, right? He performed the sacrifice, sacrifices, and then and then he descends back down to us, to come to us. But not to, just to speak a, a loving message to us, right? Like God does to Jacob. But he actually, right, he, he descends the staircase. He condescends to us. And he, actually, he gives his life for us. He dies for us. And so if you want to encounter with God um, this morning or any time in your life, right, the answer is not, you know, go and lie to your family and steal from them and then run off into the wilderness of Kansas and get a stone for a pillow and fall asleep and hope that you get a dream, right? You don't have to do that. If you want to encounter the living God, it's Jesus. That's how you do it. He is the staircase. Angels now ascend and descend on him. And if that's true, right, if this is, if Jesus is saying this is how you encounter God, this is what it means. Think back to this story in Jacob. I am the, the fulfillment of that story. It means a couple of things for us. That first, if you're going to encounter God, if you're going to meet God, you have to meet him in weakness. You can't ascend the stairs. You haven't figured it out. You're not your own religious guru. You have to be willing to let God, let Jesus, descend the staircase to come to you in your place of weakness and need. Because the, the, the gospel, right, the story of the Bible is that we are all Jacob, whether we see it or not. Whether you think that you're in the darkness, whether you've encountered the darkness or not, it's, we all have been where Jacob is. Right? And we've all made decisions that have put us on the run, that have put us in... In, in, in conflict and relationship, whether it's with others, but especially we've done it with God. And so the choice we have, right, is, is either you, you get up and say, all right, I'm going to get it right this time. I'm going to climb this. This time I will climb the staircase. This time I won't. That's, that's one way. That, but Jesus is saying, no, I am the staircase. You have to come to me in, in weakness. And here's the best, the best diagnosis I, I know of for whether or not you know you're letting God meet you in weakness at the bottom of the staircase or whether you're trying to climb it yourself, and that, that's this. The, be, the best way to know whether you're, 
you're living out the gospel narrative where you've let God come to you in weakness or you're trying to do it yourself is whether or not you are a person of compassion and kindness towards others. Because if you think you can climb your own way to God or if you think the moment you start looking down on other people, it's a sign that you've never had this encounter like Jacob had. Right, that you haven't met God in weakness, that you haven't met him in a place of need. Because the moment we start looking down on others, what we're communicating is, hey, I'm further up the staircase than them. I figured it out more than they have. In the church, it's not known as this. It should be known as this. The church should be the most open and welcome and hospitable place because we have all, like, the foundation of our faith in Jesus is that he met us at the bottom and, and, and has made the way to the top for us. Which, like, if people should come in and just sense this kindness, this compassion, this openness to others. And I, the church is not known for that, and we should be. Like, we should not be known for judgmentalism or pride, because that is a, that's a sign you're climbing the staircase yourself, and you're looking down. Just don't do that. That's not how it works. Jesus is the staircase. You can't climb it, right? He has climbed it for you. You have to meet God in weakness. That's one. Uh, one sort of implication for this text. But the other, and, and go with me on this. The other is that, um, and this is primarily to people who maybe are on the newer end of faith, which probably isn't many of us in this room, but if you're on the newer end of faith, what, the, what this text is, is sort of getting at is it's okay if you don't have it all figured out. And it's okay even when you pray bad prayers and get things wrong. And here's what I mean. So Jacob, he has this incredible, incredible encounter with God, Right? Unmerited grace, incredible blessing, incredible promises from God to Jacob. And Jacob, when he, when he rises to respond, gives one of the most pathetic responses in all of the Bible. It's just like laughably bad. So God, like God, you know, he sees angels in, uh, ascending and descending. God comes, Jacob's alone, he's ruined his life. God's like, I'm going to be with you, I will keep you, I will bless you. So Jacob takes all of this in and here's, here's how he prays back to God. If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and give me bread to eat and clothing to wear and that I may again come to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. All right, so, hey, God, as long as you, yeah, you got to protect me in the way that I think you should protect me. You got to feed me. You got to clothe me. You got you to bring me back here where I want to. If you do all those things for me, then, yes, God, I will. You Then you are the Lord. Then you'll be my God. Which is like, it's. Oh, it's, just so, it's just so bad, <laughs> right? Like God comes to him, unmerited grace, and Jacob's like, all right, let's start the negotiations. If you do this, I do this. And God did none of that with him, right? God doesn't come to Jacob and say, okay, if you stop cheating, then I will be with you wherever you get, because Jacob will keep cheating. All right, Jacob, if you, if you stop lying, then I will protect you. No, Jacob will keep lying. God comes with unconditional grace. I will be with you wherever you will go. I will keep you. I will bless you. And Jacob's like, okay, that's great, but here's what you need to do for me. And I hope, and we all do this. Some of us, maybe it's a little bit more implicit than explicit, but we all, like, we come to God with expectations, right? Okay, God, if I'm going to be faithful to you, if you're really going to get all of me, here's, here's what I need from you. Right? Here's what's off limits. Don't touch that. This is mine. And it's, it's just, it just doesn't get it, right? It's so off. And yet it's, it's encouraging to me because even though Jacob offers a pathetic prayer, God doesn't abandon him. He doesn't, uh, he doesn't rebuke him. 
He keeps his unconditional grace on Jacob. And that should be such promising good news to us. That we will, I, listen, we will pray wrong things. We will think wrong things. We will do wrong things. And yet if you, if, if you come to Jesus, the staircase, his grace towards you, towards me, it is not conditional. And if that's true, then don't, don't respond to God with conditions for him. And the beauty is, right, his, his grace is so unconditional, he'll take our conditions and be like, all right, you know, we'll, okay, whatever. That's, we'll, I'll, I'm not going to abandon you, right? He'll stay with us. And yet, it, look, this is not, just, it looks so pathetic, right, that God would, would come to Jacob with all these promises and Jacob would respond with conditions. And listen, for us to do the same thing to God, right, God, I need this career or I need this, this blessing or I need this to happen for me. For us to do that to God, it's even worse than Jacob because with Jacob, right, he, we don't just have a staircase, of angels and descend, you know, ascending and descending. We have the Son of God who gave his life for us. Like that is his unconditional promise to us. And for us to respond to him with conditions and expectations and demands, it's, it's just, don't do that. God comes to you with unconditional grace. Give him all of your life unconditionally in response. You see why I love, I love this story. I love Jacob's, it's, he doesn't get it. And so often I don't get it. And yet here's God who's like, I, I know. I know you don't get it. And so here, I'm going to, but guess what? Even though you don't get it, I will be with you wherever you go. I will keep you wherever you go. And even when I offer half-hearted prayers to God, half-hearted faith to God, he's always all in with me. And do you, like, do you see why that's true for us? It's, this is not just about a story about a staircase. It's about so much more than this. God is not coming to you saying, okay, you better climb the staircase. You better live up. You better be everything I expect you to be. You better get it together and start the climb. It's not God's posture towards us. No, well, we have so much more than Jacob had because God has not just ascended the staircase to us. He is, he's gone into a manger, right? He, he was a carpenter in some no-name place in Nazareth for, for many years. He, he taught and lived and loved people who, who, uh, you know, who had no interest in him. And then he ultimately, he went to a cross. He died for us, right? So that we, like Jacob, have experienced God speaking promises to us. I will bless you. I will keep you. I will be with you wherever you go. But the promises he speaks to us are far better, right? We don't, we don't just have to guess what God's promises are to us. We know what they are, right? It's his body was broken for us. Your sins are forgiven. You're lying. You're cheating. The things you do that put you in the darkness, Jesus died for those things. His blood was shed for those things. He went into a tomb for those things so that he could come out three days later and say, whatever it is, whatever it is, right, that's going to pull you down and put you in the darkness, I went in it for you. I came out of it for you. I'm the staircase. Come to me. I will be with you wherever you go. I will keep you wherever you go. I will bless you. And so we, let's, listen, we don't just speak that as a church. We, um, in a weird way, we eat that every Sunday, right? His body was broken for us. His blood was shed for us. And so there's no better way to eat or to finish this sermon than to, to go to the bottom of the staircase, right? The communion table, where God descends the staircase to us and says, my body was broken for you. I will be with you, right? My blood was shed for you. I will keep you wherever you go. I will keep you from death itself, right? And, and we, we eat together as his community, and so if you're a Christian, uh, if your faith is in Jesus, if you've met him in that place of weakness, 
Uh, we, we practice open communion here, which means you don't have to be a member of our church to receive this meal, but take the bread, uh, dip it into the juice, eat it together with the instruction of those who are serving you. If you need gluten-free, it's available on this side of the room. Um, I'm going to pray for us, but I just encourage you, uh, man, enter this story, right? Jesus said, if you know me, if you come to me, you get to relive Genesis 28. He's the staircase. He's here to open the gate of heaven to you. Let's pray and then encounter him in that space.